Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I've been very interested all my life in erections. When I was a young sex therapist, we knew nothing about erections. We had no idea about the mechanism involved here, let alone how to fix them when they, went, when they go wrong, when they disappear. Ah, g'day ladies and gentlemen, the Buttsman here, and listen to this, this is exciting. This is the first episode of The Butterfield Effect, a brand new podcast that's going to take the world by storm, so make sure you get down below and check out the iTunes link, Just download, subscribe, whatever you do on iTunes, who bloody knows, and subscribe here, because this is going to be massive. Long form conversations with amazing guests, and it all starts right now. My first guest is a former sex therapist and clinical psychologist, Bettina Arndt, and I just like to say that this was a very interesting conversation. And before all you people start freaking out, I'm just going to say this so that the newspapers and the magazines and, and the Clems and all these people don't freak out and say, oh, Isaac Butterfield thinks this or that. Everything that is said in this podcast from my guests is their opinion, not mine. And now that I'm not going to get sued, let's get stuck into the podcast. Please make welcome our first guest for episode number one, Bettina Arndt. <laughs> and we're live. Tana, thank good. you so much for joining oh, me. I'm very Hello. happy to be here. It's great to be here. Now, clinical psychology, that is your base. Yeah, that was ancient history. Ancient history, but let me just try word association for you because that's yeah, the whole sort okay. of thing that psychologists did or that's the, what they do in the movies anyway. Uh, when I say the word Clementine Ford, what comes to mind? I was immediately going to say hate. Well, that's just Yeah. Oh, I think she's demonic. She's really dangerous for our society and appalling the way she's um, creating so much division between men and women. Mm. She, the way I sort of describe it to people is, is she's not only creating division amongst uh, people in workplaces or older people, it's also kids. Yeah. A lot of kids are saying that, uh, a lot of young women particularly are saying that young boys are their enemy. Yeah. They're not their equal anymore. They're people who they need to fight against and grow up against. And I think that's it's and, absolutely dangerous, as you say. And said. young men, boys being taught that there's something wrong with them. Hmm. I mean, what a shocking thing to do. Toxic masculinity, yeah. this, the patriarchy idea, yeah. is making young men feel like the enemy. And I'm sure there's something we'll get into later on about male suicide. Perhaps that's something that increases the rate of people being feeling alone, feeling uh, like their lives are in inadequate. But uh, yeah. Clementine put out, and I'll just read the tweet really quickly uh, because I'm so prepared. Uh, she put out <laughs> this tweet uh, last week, uh, or two weeks ago rather, and it said, uh, a reminder that uh, at the Batinard, interviewed and sided with a convicted pedophile mocking the teenage girl he groomed and raped and blaming both her and other adolescent girls for using their, quote, seductive powers, end quote, to, quote, ruin men's lives, end quote. She is a monster. Now, that's something that we need to talk about moving forward in this podcast. Can you give us the, the basis of what she's talking about there, the article and the 7.30 report that came out about, and, and use that as an example? Yeah. Um, what this is all about is, that, uh, I mean, I'm making YouTube videos, and I made a YouTube video, I think it's over a year ago now, 
with a guy called Nico Bester. He was a teacher who did a dreadful thing. He had sex with one of his pupils and he rightly went to prison for that. Um, and when I first heard about him, I read, I, it was because of a judge who'd written about the fact that the, the women's groups in Tasmania were treating him as their sort of Me Too case. They were systematically targeting him, targeting him uh, because he was trying to do a, you know, he lost his job, obviously. He lost his family, he lost everything. He went back to the University of Tasmania to try to do a PhD. And the, um, the women's groups were camped outside his door, were constantly campaigning to stop him being able to study at the university and so on. Um, and a judge wrote about this vigilante justice, that we have a justice system where people are punished, they go to prison and they're expected to be allowed to start their life again. And so I thought, well, it'd be interesting to talk to that person about what's happened to him. And I did this long interview with him describing what happened. I mean, he did some really stupid things. He not only went to, he went to prison twice, he came out of prison and he was on Facebook one day and someone started attacking him and he stupidly got into a conversation about the way this girl had, his victim had behaved. And he ended up going, and there also there was some sexual material on his, um, on his computer. Anyway, he went back to prison again. So I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm absolutely condemning him for what he's done. And that's and, the important thing with the internet. Yeah. Is, and I tell this to people all the time, you need to be so clear. You need to say it 30 times that you think this person is a horrible piece of shit. And the things that these people do, particularly when they're in a, a position of power, is absolutely gross. This dude had... Uh, had obviously had sex with a very young person yeah. and had child porn on his computer, obviously disgusting, yeah. which you've said multiple times. Yeah. Now that that's, that's clear. Right. And I explained <laughs> that and I had a conversation with him in the video saying, do you think it was right that you went to prison? He said, yes. So we absolutely put that all on the table. And then I had a long conversation with him. I totally, you know, I feel now I made some mistakes in that video in that we chatted on about a whole range of things, including... Um, I feel there's a real problem with teachers can sometimes be targeted by very provocative girls. I've recently made another video with a, um, a music teacher in New South Wales who faced all sorts of accusations for girls, which turned out not to be true. But it's, male teachers are really vulnerable um, and girls can be very seductive you know they can come on deliberately to, I was I remember that from my school days I mean of course always falling for male teachers and teasing them and that goes on and that makes males in schools really you know easily set up yeah. and we talked about some of that stuff and that is what's being used against me and particularly because I I did it in a, you know some of it we did in a fairly joking way I think that word vulnerable that you use to discuss the male teachers is is often quite a a word that a lot of people would look at and say, well, hang on, this is an adult. Yeah. Uh, why can't this adult, adult make the correct decision? Well, that's right. And they should be. Of course they must. There's, there's nothing wrong with an adult being vulnerable in a situation. We're vulnerable every day, yeah. but you need to make the right decisions. Yeah, and of I course you do. And that's why, I, you know, I felt I had done that. I, looking back on it, I probably should have had a slightly different tone. I, was, I came across it as joking around some of the issues we discussed. But as I said, I laid it out there in the beginning. Here is a man who did something wrong, who went to prison and was punished from it. He's not a pederast. He's not preying on, on kids. He made a mistake and got involved with a pupil. He was in a position of power. You should never do that. 
but he's not someone who, who is interested in pursuing relationships with young people. He has no history of this. Um, he's paid his dues. And I, I have a real problem generally with the misinformation that's out there about people who've committed sexual offences. You can be, you can be on the sex offender list in Australia from having been an having been 18-year-old who had sex with a 15-year-old, you know, boyfriend, yes, girlfriend, yes. Now, and then be on a sex offenders list for the rest of your life. Is that reasonable? There are, well, there's some kids that send uh, child pornography to each other when they're yeah, in year eight, right. let's say. And they get on the sex offenders list. The mm. way we talk about pederasty is really dangerous. There are some extremely dangerous people who prey on young kids particularly they're predominantly male homosexuals preying on boys mm. and they're the ones we have to be really concerned about because they're the ones who are out there grooming, looking for males to have, young males to have sex with. Um, most sex offenders aren't likely to repeat their offence. The, the evidence is they're actually less likely than most crimes to be recidivist. To, really? Yeah. I've, I've heard that the recidivism rate in uh, people who are convicted of a sex crime, uh, particularly against young people, is quite high. It's so, high with that group, particular group okay. of predominantly males who have a history of preying on young males. It's not true of the overall category of sex offenders, and it would certainly not be true of someone like this, who has a one-off incidence of stupidly falling for a t one of his pupils and being punished for it. And I understand, I understand where you're coming from with yeah. that. But can you trust that person around? You, obviously, you'd never be a teacher again. You can't do that. But no. could you trust that person like with your kids? Like I, If I knew that that was that guy's background, then I would write him off and say, listen, I can't have my kids near him. Well, I think that's, I think that's wrong. I think, I, think, I think we cannot afford to think like that. Because we, we, we have a society where we believe in redemption. We yes. believe people should have a second go. We believe in punishment and then have it giving them an opportunity to live a normal life after that. Um, otherwise, why would we ever let them out of prison sure. if we never believe they'll get it, move on? Um, I would certainly trust this man. I mean, he has <clears throat> no interest in young people. He stupidly had a... Rela the, the, the judge who made the decision to send him to prison described it as a relationship with a young woman. Okay. He, that, in, the, in the case as presented in course, he was not regarded as him preying on her, grooming her. None of the things that are now are being said about that case now were found to be true in the actual court case so where this, he was convicted. This young woman then, how, how did this come okay. came out? Now, I want to tell you really why this is being used against me. Yes. There's a woman called Nina Funnel or Funnell, I don't know how you pronounce it, who runs, an, who is one of the people behind an organisation called NRAPE on Campus. And NRAPE on Campus um, is a group promoting the idea that we have a rape crisis on our campus, which is totally wrong. Mm. We don't have a rape crisis on the campus. They actually persuaded our Human Rights Commission to spend a million dollars of taxpayers' money to look in, to find, try to find evidence of this rape crisis, and they, the, the Human Rights Commission failed dismally because they, they came up with really encouraging statistics showing that we don't have a big problem. We have 0.8% of girls have had any sort of sexual incident, including being touched by a stranger, stranger on the trade uni or being tricked into sex against your will. This is using the broadest possible definition. 
So 0.8%, 99.2% have nothing happen to them. This is no rape crisis. That's a little bit different to the one in four number yep. that we have constantly heard on and mainstream TV. Yeah, and what we hear is, see, they, when they got that, t- that result, which was a real fizzer from the point of view of the activists, they, they then fudged the statistics and started talking about sexual violence, which was mainly harassment. What they mainly came up with was um, relatively high figures for low-grade harassment, which is mainly unwanted staring. Sure. A guy looking at a girl in a way she doesn't like. Wolf whistling. Yeah. uh, I know I've heard uh, asking to buy a drink. uh, Because guys, I'm a guy. I I know that dudes can look creepy in, in, in pubs and clubs because we stand over there, we see someone who's attractive, we go... They're really attractive. We just have this dopey look that comes over us because well, that's our natural And many girls emotion. like to have yeah. dopey looks. You know, the, the notion <laughs> so. that, that sexual harassment... See, sexual harassment has shifted from something back in the 70s, which was supposed to be about power imbalance, hmm. like the teacher, um, to something now where, where it's regarded as the most easily offended person can make a complaint, and that is harassment, about a joke, about a, you know, the way a guy looks at him. Sure. Uh, and why are we judging sexual harassment on the, on the hang-ups of the most uptight person in our community? That makes no sense. Um, why are we cha- all required to change our behaviour um, to comply with these, you know, misfits mm. in our society? That's what I, I mean, I, of course, my background was sex therapy. I was out there for the first decade of my life telling people to enjoy sex, which is something... And you were one of the first. I was the, fir- the yeah, first. pretty much the first female, certainly the first female, but one of the first out there. And this was a time when sex was so taboo. Yeah. We weren't allowed to talk about it. People were so uptight and embarrassed about it. And I was out there saying, this is a wonderful thing. Enjoy, enjoy this part of our lives. And to see these activists, these feminist activists, taking over the way men and women are allowed to behave towards each other just outrages me. Anyway, yeah. I better get back to my... That's all right. Uh, no, this uh, is yeah. great. Yeah, so getting back to my... Okay, Nina Funnell um, run, is the main person behind this end of campus. Obviously, I'm public enemy number one for yeah. her. I am doing a lot of damage because I've been out on campuses calling out her lies, calling out the fact that we don't have a rape crisis on our campuses, that our universities are complicit in promoting the fact that our universities are unsafe for young women. Why are they doing that? Mm. I mean, this is just craziness. And it's because they're too embarrassed, too pussy-whipped, too lily-livered to stand up to women like Nina Funnel, this tiny group of activists who are making a fuss. What is wrong with these people running our universities? It's very difficult to st- stand out and talk against people because they do exactly what you just they said. They do. They target. They try and target you and discredit you. Yeah, and so they've been doing. Anyway, Fadal has printed nine articles in the last two years attacking me. Again and again, she's used carefully edited extracts from that interview with Bester, <clears throat> um, and she had she got a whole you know segment on sixty minutes attacking me where she they used tiny segments of the video showing me you know chatting to him being friendly to him, and then they put all sorts of stuff around it to make me look like you know an apologist for pederast and so on, um, and then she's had another go because she's she at that times when uh, when that first all came out my video first came out she then started a campaign to allow the victim in that case to speak out, let her speak. Uh, And there was regulations in Tasmania saying victims of sexual abuse are not allowed to 
be named and not allowed to be heard. And she was determined to change that. Um, arguably, because it enabled her, I mean, obviously the, she would have a, you know, there's a good argument that sex victims should be allowed to do that, that's fine. But of course, that, the law changed, she, the, the victim, victim was allowed to speak out just a few weeks ago, and it gave her a whole new avenue to start attacking me. So she got my video shown on the 7.30 report on the ABC the other day. She, she wrote half a dozen articles this week naming me one ludicrous article saying that this girl's family wants to meet me to show how I've damaged them, you know, all this stuff. And it's all deliberately aimed to really damage my reputation. And I'm about to put all this information on my website because there's nothing more I can do than put the facts out there and let people judge for themselves. What is your website? Just Bettina. If they Google my name, Bettina Arndt, they'll find it. Um, BettinaArndt.com.au. Um, and um, so I've, I've got to put... So Funnel has been having a go at me for years and years and years. She, you remember when that poor Latrobe girl was murdered, yes. raped and murdered? Funnel wrote an article in the Saturday Post, Saturday paper, suggesting linking my tour of, I'm doing this tour of campuses, speaking out about the fake rape crisis, linking that to the murder of this girl and included all sorts of erroneous statistics, misrepresentations of what I'm doing. And I wrote a, a Facebook post saying, Please report. This is, I think this is outrageous. She's linking me to the murder of this girl. She wasn't even murdered, of course. It was nothing. She happened to be a student, but she was killed by a homeless man. Yes. It was a real tragedy that had nothing to do with campus rape. Hmm. And yet she you know, put the two together and defamed me, in my view. I um, wrote a Facebook post saying, report her to the press council. And luckily, my loyal followers seemed to have done that. She then sent me a defamation case for over the, the Facebook post where I said, call her, you know, I want you to report the lies she's spreading about me. So she, so she went to a, a, you know, a female law firm who sent this defamation case. And I got Tony Morris. Do you know Tony Morris? Tony Morris is this great barrister in um, Queensland who defended those kids who were before the Human Rights Commission over the, you know, the fight over the Indigenous computer lab. Okay. Um, it was a few years ago where some... Um, University of Queensland students wanted to use a computer lab they discovered it was reserved for indigenous students okay. and they made a couple of comments they were taken before the Human Rights Commission on the basis of racism and Tony Morris was a famous barrister who defended them successfully and he very kindly offered to help with this particular defamation action and he wrote this wonderful letter back to the law firm saying bring it on we would like nothing better than to end up in court with Nina Funnell's lies about me being exposed. And um, they seem to have disappeared, which, is, which was the next round, but now she's using the Bester um, case against me again. And I'm speaking next month at, UT, at UNSW in Sydney on my next stop in my campus tour. And we've seen on social media that end rape on campus has more dirt that they're proposing to release prior to that event. I mean, this is a deliberate ca campaign to damage me as much as possible because I'm having some success in my campus tour and that really, 
undermines what they're doing. Mm. It, it really confuses me that, that there's so many people, like they, they grab these groups and perhaps with the lack of religion in, in younger people, which, you know, I'm not religious, but with the lack of religion, they want to grab on to a certain tribe. And for a lot of people, their tribe is end rape or, or whatever cause or advocacy group or activist group they're after. They, they grab onto that and that's, their, that's now their life. That's what they get behind. Yeah. But how these people can somehow get so much information, the same information that we get, and two people can have completely different ways of interpreting that information. I see on, on campuses, I'm doing a show in Canberra coming up, and uh, a lady wrote a blog about how they're going to protest the show because I'm a racist, I'm a sexist, yeah. I'm homophobic, all these outlandish statements, <laughs> which if you took five minutes to meet me, you go, oh, this guy doesn't, he's not a horrible piece of shit, he's just a, some dude. Oh, like, that's just the way it is. But well, that's, that's how they attack that's people. That's why they attack I mean, they, you know, they, when, when I started my campus tour, you know, they had all these posters, racist, sexist, um, conservative. I mean, how can anyone call me conservative, really? I mean, I spent my life promoting sex, promoting all sorts of things that some people regard as outrageous. You know, I find, I watch, just watch your fantastic video on pornography. Like and subscribe. <laughs> um, and I, um, which I totally agree with. Um, I mean, all sorts of th things that conservatives would, would regard as really suspect. Um, I've always believed in, and you know, but as, as you say, they just add the labels together and do anything they can to throw mud at you. Well, if you if you disagree with them on their sort of side of things, if you're not a feminist, if you're not a, a Black Black Lives Matters movement uh, member, if you're not one of these people that moves with, uh, if you voted for Trump, if you thought that Trump's doing okay, if you think any of those type of things, you're a conservative, you're a bad person, you're a racist. Yeah, that's the label they give people. Like even with me. Like, I, I support gay people getting married. I, I want people to be able to s smoke weed if they want to do that. I want people to do all anything they want to do as long as it's not harming anybody else. Yep. That's the big thing with me. But one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, and was there anything else you wanted to add to the Nina Funnel thing before we move on? No, I think that's right. I'm just really be keen for people to have a look at the facts. Well, I wanted to, yeah, you, you yeah. clear that up because yeah. Clementine's gone out and she does this after everyone. She never does it after me, which is very, very strange, Maybe Clem. too dangerous I don't to know take why. on. Come on, baby. <laughs> I don't know why she does it. But <laughs> to, to clear everything up, that was basically taken out of context, but you think perhaps you could have worded it in, in, in a better yeah. way. I, could, I would have done it differently. Sure. But I actually, it's an interesting question whether I would do it again. I mean, I do feel very strongly about misrepresentation of issues like sexual offences. I mean, you know, I do have this clinical psychology background. I can read the evidence, which shows we're, we're, we're really, uh, I think, treating that whole issue with a lot of superstition and hysteria. And it, it makes it particularly dangerous for men. And of course, men are my major cause. I'm very concerned about um, the fact that there are fewer and fewer men allowed in the lives of children already. Mm. There are hardly any male teachers in schools and we're just driving them away with these easy accusations. Uh, you know, any kid who's really upset with a teacher because the teacher's given her a bad mark or, you know, reprimanded her in some way. I mean, what perfect way to have a go at him and to make an accusation about sexual abuse and it's... Once that accusation is made, it's really hard for a man to ever recover. Mm. 
um, from that sort of investigation. And I've talked to a lot of men in that situation. And that's why, you know, I, I, I try to stop myself from getting involved in that issue because I know it's too dangerous. But that really pisses me off. Of course. I've had, I've had two friends that have been uh, charged with uh, in a rape case and both have been proven that, and the person who accused them of doing the crime came out and said, no, no, that wasn't true. I made it up. Two. And I mean, I don't have that many friends. I, I make videos in my house all day. Like, I, I don't get out that much. <laughs> I know, you know the feeling. <laughs> so <laughs> for that to happen and, and occur so much, not only is it bad for, for, for guys and the people being accused, but it's bad for women as well who are actually being attacked. Yep. It's terrible. Like that young lady from La Trobe University mm. in Melbourne. These people who are murdered. And the, the real rape, rape victims. Yeah, the real rape victims. The fact that it's going to be harder for them to believe. And a really interesting debate in the newspapers about what's happening in terms of rape convictions. Um, it was in the Australian, I don't know whether you saw that, um, where a judge has spoken out about some of the problems. that They've systematically changed regulations around rape accusations to make it easier for victims, to, make it possible for victims to be treated better in the whole court system because, of course, the, the, the reporting of rape crime meant you were, it went through another huge ordeal mm. when you were questioned and you weren't believed and so on. So they're really tilted the other way, which is a very good thing, given rape victims every possible support, made it extremely hard. You know, you, you're not allowed to grill a woman about what, it, what she was wearing on the night, all that sort of stuff, which is totally appropriate. But what's happened now is our police and our public prosecutors don't dare ever challenge a woman's evidence anymore. I mean, it's rare it's, it's even properly examined. Uh, I just talked last week, I did a video with a mum whose 18-year-old son uh, actually went to prison briefly when he was accused of rape. And it turned out, I mean, it was all false allegations. Uh, he was exonerated in court. He came out of that court <coughs> and the, the jury was there clapping and applauding oh, him. Oh, wow. It was an amazing case. And this mother, talking to this poor mother about what happened to her son, just heartbreaking. And what happens to the, to the woman, the accuser? In Nothing. Case? Well, so they're trying to get her charged with perjury. Yeah. And she clearly perjured herself in that courtroom and was caught out again and again lying, as was obvious to the jury. And so the jury threw that out. Now, what I was saying is what's happening in our courts generally now is the police are pushing through all the cases because they don't dare say we don't believe this victim or we don't think there's enough evidence there. The public prosecutors are pushing them all to trial. And then sensible juries make good decisions very often. And so juries don't believe all women. Hmm. Juries know that sometimes women bullshit about these things and make, make up stories about these things. Sometimes they're telling the truth and sometimes they don't. Um, and particularly if you have women on the jury, I mean, women are, yeah. have a very clear idea of the fact that, you know, neither you can't believe men or women no, all the time. generals you, don't decide whether no, or not you lie. No. And so they sit there and they judge the, the, the facts put in front of them. And, so, and a lot of these great cases are falling down because they didn't have enough evidence from the, to start off with. And probably, arguably, we've tilted the law too much to always believe the victim, i.e. the woman, and we're not putting enough emphasis on properly examining these cases before they go to trial and determining whether there's evidence to support them. And of course, then the, then the activists turn around and say, look how appalling our criminal system is. All these, rape, you know, these rapists are going uh, to trial and they're, not, and they're not being convicted. I mean, it's just craziness that's going on here. 
Well, well, through the Me Too movement, and and I know you're very heavily involved with your book, uh, Hashtag Men Too, it's, it's interesting to see that twi- on Twitter particularly, I don't know how much time you spend on Twitter, but it is a shit fight. Oh, I don't. I, go I just on there. post things and I don't even look at it. <laughs> it's heinous. I follow a lot of feminists <laughs> and a lot of very far left people. Uh, it, it, just for my own entertainment, and it helps me come up oh, with videos. Oh, God, it um, would drive me crazy. But it also, yeah, it makes you crazy. But uh, the, the hashtag Believe All Women is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because you can't hashtag Believe All Men. No. So how can you hashtag Believe Anyone based on their, their, their sexual their gender? You know, like you just can't do that. It's, it's just, yeah. uh, it's, it's so right. inappropriate. And that's why, I, I mean, I, every day, I mean, obviously I hear from lots and lots of men who are so pleased someone is standing up for them, but I am hearing from more and more women. Women of, I walk in a supermarket and a 60 year old woman will say, thank God someone's standing up for mm. our sons, you know, or my, this happened to my brother, or this happened to my, you know, son-in-law, my, my son's not allowed to see his kids anymore. All the things that are happening to men out there are affecting women as well. Because mm. luckily, most men have women who love them in their lives, women who care about them, women who are really upset at what's happening to men in our society. Mm. They don't believe all women. They know women tell lies. They're really disturbed that our legal system is now believing everything women say, say and denying men proper justice. Mm. And I've just got this huge number of people and I'm just trying to work out what to do with it. You know, yeah. I've got this group wanting to help in some way. And that's why I'm systematically now starting to run campaigns of various sorts to take them on. There are lots of people who've had enough and we have to stand up against this rubbish. You have to. And you, and you see the popularity of people who stand up against things that everyone sits at home and goes, no, that's bullshit. Yeah. People like Jordan Peterson and even Milo Yiannopoulos for some time. Yeah. People like that who they stand up and like, you know, obviously Jordan's very, very different to Milo, but they stand up and they say, okay, well, this is incorrect and here are the facts. And people go, oh, right. But with, with, as far as like with my content that I make, I make a lot of videos that are anti-feminist or, or not even anti-feminist. Like I think feminism, the, the word, the definition is great. Equality, of course. You want people to be equal. If they want to be it equal. It used to be a, equality. Exactly. And I, mean, there's I, a I call myself a feminist for, I don't know what, 30 years or something of my adult life. And then I had enough because feminism has nothing to do with equality anymore. It's to do with advantaging women at the expense of men. And I'm not part of that. And neither are most. I mean, I was looking at a recent survey. SBS did a big analysis of sexism and feminism recently. Um, And they they found, I think, I can't remember the figures. It's less than 30% call themselves feminists. And it depends, younger women are more likely to than older people. Um, but it, you know the numbers are actually going down, and more you know something like seventy-five percent feel f- sexism applies to men. Too, most people think um, feminism has gone too far. Mm. So there was an overall picture of disquiet in our community. We've got a tiny group of activists who are calling themselves feminists mm. in Australia, and they are having a totally disproportionate voice. And they are influencing policy, they're influencing politicians, they're influencing government. Um, And that's because we, the majority, who don't like what's going on, are silenced. And we have to stop that. We have the numbers. And if we start to stand up, we could drown out those noisy, yapping little creatures. 
and have you know get governments to listen. Uh, you know, so we talked about. Well, you know, who was it? Um, one of the wonderful actors, um, I think it's Eric Weinstein, is it? Yep. He talked about the Chihuahua effect. Um, that you know, the, the feminists are like this yapping little horrible dog, and we are the Great Dane. I mean, we're the majority, and if we only stood up and roared, we could just take that little yapping creature's head off. And the problem with standing up and roaring is, like, you won't get on a mainstream TV. No. My, my humour, my stand-up will never be on Channel 10. The people I don't a, think you're going to get a gig on the ABC, are you? The ABC doesn't want to touch me <laughs> no. at all. The project doesn't like me. The uh, Even the Melbourne Comedy Festival is sort of like, oh, yeah, not, not too no. great. But the thing is, when I go to shows, and I do shows... Uh, I would have to say a conservative estimate would be 40% of the people in the crowd are women. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a great split. And, and Connor, who's, who's, who's our producer here, he's been to my shows. You've seen it. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Everyone who's in that show, there are just people from different races, creeds, religion, everything. Yeah. And it's it's marvellous to see that it's not just a room full of these straight white pigs that people assume are in there. Yeah, no, that's right. And I mean, there's, there's huge support out there from women. I mean, you know, you mentioned my book. Which is hashtag hashtag me, me too. Me, yeah. Men too. You know? That's all right. So it's very easy to get it wrong. It is very easy. You just and used to say that. It's not. I mean, me too is only a tiny bit of. I mean, that's just a collection of my writings for the last yes. thirty years about men. Um, and I just thought it was funny means of of summarising the other side of the story, which is what it's all about. I went on the Sunrise Show. Very rare. I managed to get on a mainstream television, um, and it was very funny because there were. Um, two female hosts that day and much to my surprise they were really sympathetic to the stuff I was talking about. The Me Too movement was meant originally as we just heard to empower women um, and give some women um, the, the, the confidence I guess to call out sexism. Has it been derailed a little? Absolutely. It's been take, given women license to destroy men out on the basis of the most trivial accusations. I mean, one of my favourites was this Canadian MP who got upset. She was having a photo taken with two other MPs, two men on either side of her, and one of them made a joke saying, this wasn't the sort of threesome I had in mind. She said she was traumatised for six months. I mean, this is just madness, this stuff. Women calling out men that say it was a Me Too accusation of sexual assault because he gave me bad sex. I mean, this, this has done, I mean, what started off as a really important issue has absolutely been derailed and given women the right to behave extremely badly and destroy men who, don't, who have done something to upset them mm. at any point. Yeah, because as you say, it, did, it, has, um, uh, it has brought a lot of positives. Women have, have been able to come out and call men out. So where has it gone wrong? Where has it, you know, uh, gone off the rails? Oh, I think because it... it, it it's gone far too far, and most people would agree with that. But I'm not just talking about me too. I'm talking about a whole range of areas where feminism has gone off the rails. Feminism started off about equality, about promoting, you know, men and women having an equal playing field, and then now it's all about rules and regulations to advantage women at the expense of men. Constant male bashing, false accusations of violence being used to destroy men's lives, women denying men access to their children. There are endless rules in our society now which are about demonising men. Um, I talked about you know, the, the campus rape issue, the 
false accusations of violence, being used in family court battles, men not seeing their kids as a result, all that stuff. And these women were really on side. And they said, they, you know, one of the, I think one of them had sons and said, I'm worried about my sons growing up. And so it was a very sympathetic interview. Mm. Um, and they had 5,000 likes on their Facebook page and I think something like 200 dislikes. Um, and of course, what happened was the feminists then wrote articles saying Sunrise hosts under attack for, you know, allowing conservative, you know, not challenging me, essentially. Yes. And that's, that's, of course, what the mainstream narrative is now, that we will attack anyone who challenges uh, you know, what we are promoting. And so they had a really hard time, those mm. Sunrise hosts. So that's what happens all I, the time. I remember seeing that interview yeah. and I was, I was blown away that like, I think one was Samantha, Samantha Armitage yeah. and then the other one, I can't remember who the other one was, but the support and they agreed with you. And I was yeah. sitting there just going, what? It was, it was amazing. But then within moments, people like Clem Dog, she ran with it and was just like, you know, this horrible person. Yeah. All these, all these horrible things, calling your names and all this type yeah. of stuff. But you know, that's just the internet. But for them to take that, and this is what I was saying about you taking the same information. For them to watch that video, listen to you, and go, okay, that makes sense. Of course, men feel you know disproportionately evil in many respects. Yeah. Uh, and for them to take that information on board and then turn it into one of these articles where they're trying to discredit you yeah. or trying to even attack Sunrise. You saw this with Alan Jones the yeah. other day where he said something mean about the, the Prime Minister of, oh, yeah. of New Zealand. Sure, he said something mean. It wasn't very nice, but people say not nice things all the time. Sure, and I've seen these Twitter pages, there's a couple of them trying to get all the ads taken off uh, Alan Jones oh, and, yeah. and, and remove him. I think it's just this news cycle. People don't have real issues to worry about, yeah. so they just throw these ridiculous... The, and the trouble is the, the big organisations are caving into this rubbish. Yeah. I mean, Sky News, of course, they've had lost a series of their hosts who've been systematically targeted by these activists and they've lent on the, the, the advertisers to pull out. Um, I mean, in my case, you know, I've been in the media all my life. I started off, I had 10 years on television. I had my own radio show. I had television television all the time on and of course everyone loved me because I was talking about sex I can't tell you how many millions of ABC shows I've done over 40 yeah. years and of course they won't touch me now mm. the minute I clearly came out for men I was dropped like a stone by all mainstream media but um, I wrote for you know I was with City Body Herald and The Age writing full-time as a as a feature writer for them for a good decade, 15 years of my life. They won't touch me now. You know, they're, you name it. They're, they're all that, most of our media is against mm. what I'm doing. Mm. And it's often the way that people just come out and they go, well, we just can't touch that person. It's yes. too risky. That's right. One of the things I wanted to talk about with feminism, and it's something that uh, I think people like Clementine do, and she's probably the most prolific uh, feminist in the country at the moment. She comes out, and it's not the things to do with, you know, her dressing her son in, uh, in Lorna Jane tights, which, hey, if she wants to do that, whatever. Oh, uh, but the way she talks about her son. <laughs> I mean, gee whiz. It's so I mean, that's bad. really worrying. It's, it's terrifying. horrible mm. for a mother to publicly denigrate your son's sex, your son's gender. Absolutely. I mean, how extraordinary. And to do it in such a personal way. Yeah. One day that poor young man is going to look at his mother's video that... Uh, that talk she gave and just, I mean, what is he supposed to conclude? 
like, does does mum love me, or does oh. she? How does she feel about me? Was she mm. upset that she had a boy? Clearly. All these things would go through through his mind, and that affects a young person. Yeah. And I think what I wanted to say about feminism is I I despise the modern feminists for 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 many reasons, but the main reason is the way that they treat women like they are these weak, tiny people. I have so many great women in my life who are tough as fuck, and yeah. they're not going to cop any shit from anybody. And these people treat them like they're little petals, little flowers. Well, that's what we fought for. I mean, exactly. That's, that's why I became a feminist. I thought this is a fantastic thing to to get the right to be at work alongside men. Absolutely. To have the same rights as men, to, to do the things that men do, to have our freedom and independence. I mean, look in the universities. We, have you ever, do you know who Camille Parler is? Camille Parler is this fa- fabulous academic, outspoken um, she's really taking on the feminists now on a whole range of issues. But she did this video talking about when she was at college and they then were sort of locked up in separate colleges. Mm. She's a bit, a little bit older than me. And the women were, had to be, you know, put that at, at 10 o'clock at night, they had curfews, they weren't allowed, men weren't allowed in their rooms, all this sort of stuff. And she said, we fought for the, the, the freedom to take, our, take risks as women. We fought for the right to be raped, she said. I mean, in the sense that we want to make our own decisions. Yeah. We don't want to chaperones locking us up to protect us. I mean, it's just madness that You're we're going an adult. back. You can do whatever you want. And we t- That's we, equality. We make our own decisions about our lives. And now, across the board, women are being treated, once again, on a pedestal, needing protection, needing to be cosseted and, and, and looked after. I mean, look, one of the areas that really bugs me are the sexual consent courses that are, being, are now compulsory on university campuses. I don't know if they've ever looked at them. I have. They're hilarious. Oh, but they're really <laughs> dangerous. They are. I mean, they're setting men up for rape. Yes. Because they systematically teach women that they have no responsibility. There's no mention in all those videos of the whole issue of women having trouble sometimes making up their own minds. Mm or being reluctant to say yes or no, or all the reasons why we don't give clear messages to men. That is never addressed. There, women are not, there's no responsibility for women in that whole business of negotiating consent. It's all on the male shoulders. Women are, taught, are being taught that they can uh, withdraw consent after the event. Mm. I mean, what craziness is that? Mm. How dare we do that to young men? To put them in a position where they can be told they have consent and then the woman has the right to turn around later and say, sorry, I didn't mean that. And this doesn't just mean oh. that this person is labelled a racist, a rapist rather. This, this young man, if that happens, they would draw consent or perhaps it turns out that the man was slightly less intoxicated than the woman. Uh, and That's the other one. Yeah. For whatever reason. If, if they're both drinking, it's his fault. He's a rapist. Which is ridiculous. If you drink drive... It's yeah. your fault. If you drink sex, it's your fault. Well, okay? You're not allowed to say that anymore because you're never allowed to blame the victim. There was, the, you know, the um, University of Canberra had this party safe, safe page on their website, which had perfectly sensible information saying if you, you know, if you take too many drugs or you, you drink too much, you might make decisions you might regret. Hmm. Not addressed to women, but to both, which is perfectly reasonable. Um, the feminist said that was blaming the victim and demanded the university take it down. I mean, it's just craziness going on here. It's, it's, um, so it's, that sexual consent course is all about uh, treating women as infant- infantilizing women, yes. treating them as 
people needing constant protection. That is not what my generation of feminists fought for. No. And women don't need supervision all no. the time. They're adults. They can do whatever the fuck they want. And, and they that... can take responsibility for their own lives. We have. To... I mean, I'm now keep thinking of how can I get young women involved in their campaign to take back responsibility for our sex lives, which is what we fought for in the 70s. And somehow we have to encourage women to do that. And even with uh, with Lisa Wilkinson, when that young woman was murdered in uh, in Melbourne, she came out and said that we need to teach, rather than teaching young girls to be safe, uh, we need to teach young boys not to rape. This might upset some people, but honestly, parents, instead of telling our girls not to walk through parks, maybe we should be telling our boys not to rape them. Which is the most heinous example of a ridiculous statement and a dangerous statement to make to anyone. As if, I mean, the places I assume you wouldn't go at night of by course. yourself. And, 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 and of course, and of course, men are much more likely to be physically attacked than women are. Yes, men are much more vulnerable to to physical abuse, and and yet. You know, this notion that women have to be allowed, you know, we have to create a world where somehow women could go anywhere they like and behave anywhere they like and they have to still be protected. It's just nonsensical. And you should be able to go anywhere you want. You should be able to walk down the street with whatever you want on. But that's not the world we or anyone in human, the human race have ever lived in. It's wow. impossible because we cannot control the minds and the decisions made by crazy people. I don't think women should be allowed to wear what they want. I mean, I think it's another area which is totally being t twisted um, to advantage women at the expense of men. In this whole business of, you know, the slut walks and the women, women have a right to dress as they like uh, is, I think, a part of this whole demonisation of male sexuality. But it's also denying the fact that if a woman dresses in a really provocative way, her tits are hanging out, you know, she's got hardly any clothes on, She's deliberately flaunting her sexual power over men. She's she's not dressing. She doesn't dress like that when she's sitting at home watching TV, does she? She dresses like that because she's aware of the fact that it attracts male attention, and that's what she wants. But she only interested in there's only a certain group of people who are allowed to actually be caught looking. So if you're too old or too ugly or don't appeal to her in some way, you will be shamed for looking at her, mm. and. Yet, if you're the you know a really good-looking guy that isn't in her target audience, he's allowed to look and he's allowed to show his appreciation for her. I mean, this is abhorrent behaviour, really appalling behaviour from women, and we are encouraging the women to go out there and to flaunt their power over men and have no responsibility for that. I'm not saying. It ever, uh, you know, it's ever reasonable for a man to rape a woman because of the way she dresses. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying it's ludicrous to teach women that they have no responsibility uh, for the way they dress, and that they and that they have that the way they dress doesn't have an impact on men. I think, I think does that make sense? It does. I, I think I mean, it's very problematic. It, no, it is, and yeah. I think, and I disagree with some sort of. I, I, I understand where you're coming from because they are, and it's the same with makeup and things like that. Women use makeup to, and this is obviously a very contentious subject as well, to sexualise and attract men, yeah, yeah. and that's that's it's proven by science. Get over it. Um, the thing with the, the the dress is like I like to wear these shoes. They look ridiculous, but I like these shoes. So I should be able to wear these shoes. Women should be able to wear, in my opinion, whatever that, they want. Yeah. But 
if someone looks at you, you can't get mad. If you got your big old cags hanging out, yeah. don't get mad. People want to look at your cags. Yeah, it's like it's like the same with uh, the free boob, the free boob movement. If you want to walk, free the nipple, free it, free it. Dudes are not going to complain. All right, they're going to look. They're going to look. They're going to follow you around. You're going to get creeps. They just got to be wary of that. But why is a man looking a creep? You know, oh, that's. What... I'm a bit creepy. No, why is it? Why is it? Well, our bodies are designed to attract men. I mean, that's yes. the whole purpose yes, of the exercise, of course. isn't yes. it? Our breasts, I mean, obviously they have another function in feeding babies, but our breasts are designed to appeal to men. Um, and your response is totally natural. And if we free the nipple, to expect men not to want to look at it is just lunacy. Oh, if there's a if there's a topless lady at the beach, like dudes, you see sunglasses go straight on. Everyone's changing their direction. Yeah, they have just, to walk up the stairs. It's good. And, you know, but for her to say there's something offensive about men looking, that's where it gets crazy. Yeah. One of the examples I always give is Princess Mary. Uh, you know, who married um, Frederick. Frederick yeah. yeah. Um, um, so she becomes a princess, a queen. Um, she's dressed at some state dinner. You know wonderful plunging neckline and there's an old guy sitting next to her hmm. who's the husband of some ambassador or something, <clears> something. <throat> and he's caught on video yeah having a good <laughs> having a look, look. <laughs> and you know it's a video so it's, it's a very funny video because she looks totally disapproving and the sort of adjusts her cleavage and that went around the world shaming him as a dirty old man i mean what the hell I mean, she should have been shamed for, for being so disapproving of the fact he caught looking. Why is she wearing a dress like that if she doesn't want to be looked at? How dare she shame him simply because he's not young and attractive and, and in her target audience? Hmm. You know, that is just know, not fair know, to I me. I know, but it's like, I, know, <laughs> I, I get what you're saying and I, I, I completely understand it. But for a, for a, for a woman who who dresses like that and is trying, I guess it's like if you're trying to, you're trying to attract you're trying only to, the, women, the men who you, who interest you. If you're trying to catch a snake out in the bush and you're trying to catch a python and you get a green tree snake, you're like, oh, I'm a bit disappointed. And that's the same thing. <laughs> I know, but you don't. You have a right to to, to sneer at the to you shame can sneer the, the snake, the poor green snake. And you can release snake. the snake. You don't have to shame the snake. That's a ridiculous example. But that's but, what happens all the time. Yes. Yes. And, you know, this, this whole, you know, there's all that chat around the five, you know, how long, how can you get, get a look without looking, being seen to be looking. And, yes. I mean, why should we put men in that situation? Because they have other things to do. They have to get on with their day. No, but I mean, why should we <laughs> make men so self-conscious about what is a perfectly natural response? And if women are deliberately displaying themselves uh, to, to, to expect men not to look is just craziness. I agree. I agree. And, and also, I mean, I've talked a lot to, for instance, dads who have teenage girls. And, you know, your daughter will be there in a bikini and all her friends are walking around the house half naked. If you say to your daughter, you know, I, I find that really difficult having you all dressed like this. You're, oh, dad, you're an old sleeve. Yeah. I mean, what is that? He's t it's a totally reasonable response from a man who doesn't want to be sexualized by his daughter and her friends. Yes. So what right do they have to make that into a, a sexual display that he's expected to ignore? I, I guess it, it's, uh, I think people don't look at it always sexually, particularly with swimmers and stuff like that. If you're, yeah, just, right. if you're walking around the house and your swimmers like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think you, I think you have a right if, you're, if your dad's pervert on you. Yeah, but there is, but there <laughs> is that line. I know, I, I, yeah, and I, him yes. to say, look, I, you know, 
yeah, have all your friends over, but I don't want them walking around top of the No. You know, that's a perfectly re reasonable thing for a man to say. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I think it, it's such a um, it's such a case by case scenario, particularly with things like uh, women walking around, and even with uh, girls who go out to nightclubs. And I was at a nightclub uh, on the weekend up in uh, Darwin. And there was a few women who had the shorter skirts on that I've ever seen. And, and, and dudes were flocking from everywhere. So what they're doing is working. And they've just got to pick the right one that sort of suits their sort of environment. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I guess that's a really good good thing for a woman. Because dudes, I mean, as a sex therapist, you would, you would know. Former sex Former therapist. sex therapist. <laughs> you would, well, you, you've done all these amazing things with your life. You're a sex therapist. No, well, look, <laughs> I mean, just on, on the sort of targeting of me, I've had two complaints to the Health Commission right, okay. in the last six months from women alleging I'm misrepresenting my qualifications. Gotcha. And they're, you know, they're getting get out to get me in every way they can, so I have to be careful with that. But I always have been saying, I, you know, I started off with this yep. qualification, but I don't call myself a clinical psychologist anymore. I don't call myself a You're psychologist. You're now a writer. I say a former. Well, whatever. I don't know what I am. A I don't know what maker. I am either. A troublemaker. You're here. We're in yeah. Sydney recording podcasts. Yeah. What are we doing? I don't know. It's the middle of the I'm week. Wasting my life, arguably. <laughs> <laughs> I had a podcast recently and uh, I was speaking to a gentleman about uh, men's mental health. And, and this is something that I talk about a lot on my channel because yeah. it's something that I've dealt with and it's something that a lot of people are dealing with and sort of working around the stigma. I'm not sure if the stigma is as bad as it was. I think a lot of the stigma may be around... Uh, uh, not not even seeking treatment, but like accepting that sometimes you need to make life changes. You may need to yeah. get out of a, a, a nasty environment, a nasty relationship, or you may get to the point where medication is necessary for a short period of time, a long period of time, case by case. Why are men killing themselves disproportionately to women? Are they killing? I mean, it's just amazing. The figures: eight people every day kill themselves. Six of them. Are men. It's terrifying. It's just shocking. Um, and it's all very convenient. There's a whole narrative out there saying it's all because men won't talk about their feelings. I mean, I did a video recently with a rural expert. She's an expert in something to do with crops and chemicals. And, but she had two people, two men killed themselves in her part of Queensland where she lives. And she wrote a blog um, about what, how her experience of male suicide is very different from what you're hearing about. And she said it was total bullshit to say it's all about men not conveying their feelings. And she talked about what she sees as the real reason, namely the reasons that actually show up in all the research that everyone's ignoring, which is mainly about relationship breakup. That's the major cause that actually emerges in the research because with relationship breakup comes um, often you know, loss of, not only loss of their homes, but loss of their children. Sometimes, very often now, false allegations of violence, <clears throat> you know, losing, I mean, a whole range of consequences, huge financial consequences, and all of that stuff. And she says, particularly in her rural community, you know, you've got a bloke having to go to court facing a false allegation of violence, and he has to travel. He can't even leave his farm mm. to travel to the magistrate. So, you know, he can't. Uh, he try, drives a thousand miles to see his kid. Mum says, no, you can't see them today. I mean, all that stuff. And she, so she wrote really well about all of that. Uh, and it's exactly what people don't want to hear. We have good data in Australia showing that connection. The major group at risk of suicide in Australia are men in their 30s and 40s, are family men, 
and particularly men who lose their families, and no one wants to acknowledge that. We have a national suicide prevention um, strategy released this year, which is gender neutral. It doesn't mention men. I mean, how outrageous is that? It doesn't talk about any specific strategies uh, that apply to men. It doesn't mention this evidence on the major cause of suicide, which is relationship breakup. We have just had in Australia, uh, our federal government just appointed a national suicide spokesperson. I can't remember what her title is. She's a, she's a mental health expert, and she's been talking about indigenous groups. She's been talking about veterans. She's talked about every. The other day she was out talking about um, you know people from. Uh, you know, foreign language speakers and, you know, needing translators. She's talking about every group except this huge elephant in the room, which is ordinary blokes. They're the people who are killing themselves. How? This is everywhere. This is not just Australia. This is the UK. This is America. And everywhere the authorities are lying about this. Why? Is it, is it to fill that role, as you said, with the gender neutral thing? It's to fill that, 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 that role that we need in government. People, government officials cannot speak out and, and try and segregate people by sex because that is seen as sexist. Well, why do they is, get this but, attention? But I do, of course, in domestic violence, the figures are actually not nearly as bad in terms of disproportion. A third of, no question, our official statistics show at least a third of victims of domestic violence are male. And yet there, the whole policymaker's argument is most victims are female and therefore we will give all the money to women. There is not a single government-funded refuge for male victims of domestic violence or their ki- and their kids. Wow. There is nowhere for men to go when they're in a violent situation with a woman. If they ring the police, they're often told to man up, um, told, you know, we can't do anything to help you. I mean, so that the figures there, so they use there the fact that they're a disproportionately smaller group of men to deny any help for them, and yet tiny group of women successfully committing suicide, and yet that justifies a gender neutral um, policy. I mean, Mm. this is just craziness, and this is because we have the whole of our bureaucracies now dominated by the feminist narrative. I mean, we have women who've graduated from gender study courses across Australia, who've been indoctrinated with feminist ideology in our universities, now running all our government institutions. 80% something percent of the health departments in Australia are women, the bureaucrats in the health departments. You think that's not going to influence policy? They have no interest in doing anything for men. They have a huge interest in denying there is a male problem. They don't want to, it's about the cash cow. If you look at the domestic violence area, I mean, thousands and thousands of women are being employed to promote misinformation about domestic violence in Australia because this is their big source, the feminist's big source of money, the money that poor, Malcolm Turnbull boasted of spending hundreds of millions of dollars on domestic violence. Almost all that money went towards campaigns demonising men, pretending the domestic violence program, uh, the whole problem is to do with male attitudes to women. You know, remember that horrible advertising campaign where they had a little boy slamming the door in the little yes. girl's face? It's all about respect for women. 
That is a total lie. There is international research showing that internationally there is an issue of misogyny of male attitudes to women, because if you include countries like Saudi Arabia and Afghanistan, a hideous country where men are really... Which people won't talk about. With you know, prejudice against women and treat women very badly. If you include all those African countries, et cetera, et cetera, you do get that showing up as an yes. international trend. If you look at within that data, countries like Britain and America and Australia, it doesn't show up at all because we are a very egalitarian country and there is no evidence whatsoever in Australia that is to do with respect for women. David Lionhill, you know, former federal senator, um, grilled the bureaucrats in Senate estimates, you know, the committee that enables you to ask bureaucrats what they're spending money on. And he asked them, what's the justification for this campaign, this television campaign, demonising men, presenting domestic violence as being all about respect for women? And they, it's a very funny video if you've never seen it. They wriggle and squirm and we have to get back to you. And then they came back to him, whatever it was, X weeks later. They've got nothing. They produce those same international surveys that actually don't show it. That's the problem in Australia. And they had no data related to that making that case in Australia. There are a few videos online with, uh, with David Lionhelm actually grilling. Yeah, the, he did a gr- terrific job. <laughs> he's done job. it a few times. Oh, no, he was fabulous. But see, that's, that's the point. We have all our policies being tilted to favour women at the expense of men, to favour funding towards women's causes at the expense of men's causes. And that's why suicide is this absolute lie about what's happening with regard to suicide in Australia. I think with men, and, and what you said is very true, men are out there, they're speaking about mental health. I think in a lot of groups, they don't do it as much, perhaps cr- across the board, yeah. uh, particularly if, like from a football background like me. Uh, no one's having those conversations. It's starting to happen, but from when I played, like I never heard anyone mention any of that type of stuff. It was more whispers about people in a bad situation. Uh, as, as I've left and I've moved on with uh, things I'm doing in my life, I have spoken to former people who, uh, former players who had issues that they were dealing with during that time. And it's good that people are talking about that. And we do a lot of, on this podcast and with my channel, we talk a lot about that type of stuff. And it's amazing the people that come up who do perhaps after a show or whatever and say, listen, you've really helped my life and all that type of stuff. And that's awesome. It's good to have people with the power of reach on the internet talking to people in their homes, making sure that they know that if they're not right, then they need to go out and they need to talk to a professional. Yeah. They need to make Are sure. Are you okay, mate? All those sort of campaigns. All those campaigns. I think they're terrific. Fantastic. And, and get men to, yeah, of course it's important for men to talk mm. more. But the fact that there is so much going into uh, mental health, the mental health sp- space, but it's not, it's not gender-based when there's this obviously disproportionate amount of men killing themselves on a daily basis, as you said, out of eight, six of them are men, there's two women. Why would there not be so much more put in to that male group. And it's one point that I always point to is there's so much demonization of men. Men are the enemy. From a young age, women are taught this. And you know, as you said, with the, with the bureaucrats and these government officials now pushing this narrative everywhere. It's on the TV, on the news, the project, the ABC is talking about it. Men are getting pushed up against a wall. They freak out. They don't know what to do. Yeah. They're either going to go into curl into a ball yeah. or retaliate, which are both bad options. And I think that this, this whole thing and the best way that we can sort of deal with all the misinformation, all the misinterpretation, misinter- 
whatever that Connor, word is. Hit me with that word. Misinterpretation <laughs> of the data uh, that is out there. I think the only way we can deal with that is to go out of our way to combat that with the correct speech and yep. the speech that is based by scientific data. And I think that's what you are doing. And I think yeah. that is a very important thing to do. Well, look, you know, recently the government, the federal government, gave some money to counselling violent couples. Hooray! I mean, that's one of the things the research actually shows is important. You have in, there's fabulous research in the University of Queensland showing if you have newlyweds, if you have young couples who are just having their first baby, all those people at the start of their relationships, you find there's an awful lot of interpersonal violence, which is often instigated by the woman, where the woman is involved just as much as the man. And it's a real indication that those couples need to learn to handle conflict mm. without hitting each other, without getting into violence. The main, one of the major um, triggers for males being violent is to be physically attacked by a woman. So if a woman slaps him, has a go at him physically, that's a real risk in terms of him eventually retaliating. We have to address women's violence. And the government gave some funding towards counselling couples. The feminists went into full overdrive saying that's dangerous. We can't put women in, in situations where they're sitting next to a violent man in for counselling. I mean, they constantly distort the narrative to fit in with this notion that it's all about dangerous men and we can't ever address the issue of, of women's violence, you know. The, so it goes yeah, on. The idea that we need to teach men not to hit women is important, but we need to teach people not to hit people. Absolutely. And that's sort of the, what the... What the and that's what the research has shown. Yes. I mean, there was a fantastic, really important research project in, in New Zealand uh, called the Christchurch Longitudinal Study. It's been going on for decades. They were the, one of the first to go out and start interviewing males and females about whether they ever, you know, have been in the violent relationship, who started it. And they were just gobsmacked to find a lot of girls saying, I started it. Just as many women acknowledging on camera that they, they are violent. And the minute they printed, started printing that data, all hell broke loose. They've been cyst- I mean, people who've done research like that have had their grants cut off, have had been fired from their university positions. They've been, had death threats. I mean, to, to do proper research on that sort of topic is really dangerous. And I rang one of those professors just last year, trying to get hold of her. She won't talk about it anymore. She's mm, too I nervous. Bet. Well, if you don't get funding, you, know, don't get funding. you, don't, you don't have a job. You know. I, I've, I've had people in my life, friends of mine, who uh, a man who I know, he had his, uh, his girlfriend of like a year. She got to a point where work was tough for her or something was going on and then she became violent. So she would start hitting him and like throwing, she was probably the same size and throwing punches, all that type of stuff. Yeah. And she was lucky in respect that he wasn't a violent person because it could have ended terribly. Yeah. But in the same respect, I've got other f- uh, female friends who have had these partners who, who beat the shit out of them. Yeah, of it's very it. much a human thing. Of course it human is. people need to learn, human people, humans need to learn not to be violent towards one but another. But we need to do something about it. It's a really important problem. Yes. And we need to address it properly. And if counselling helps people at the start of their relationship to learn to deal with conflict without hitting each other, then we should be offering that. We should be doing things not just demonising men and making stupid television programs saying it's all men's fault, which is not what the research shows. One of the other things I wanted to talk about, and it's sort of on the topic of uh, the amount of money that's invested into 
uh, in this case, research uh, into breast cancer. The, the pink test was something that you came out. No, I mean, against is probably not the right word, but sort of talking about saying that there is a, uh, there is far against. too much. No, I was, against? I was at the pink test. Yes. Right? Like, this is Which the, is the cricket test uh, yeah. b- b- put forward by uh, Glenn McGrath, who lost his wife to breast cancer. And it's raised a lot of money, which obviously Huge of money. is great. Which is wonderful. Amazing money for breast cancer nurses to yes. help. Um, but it's, it's an area that really interests me. I've done lots of, I've been very interested all my life in erections. I just think they're the most fantastic that's the, piece of engineering. The, that is the start of the podcast right there. <laughs> no. Um, well, I, it's partly guilt. When I was a young sex therapist, we knew nothing about erections. We had no idea about the mechanism involved here, let alone how to fix it when they, went, when they go wrong, when they disappear. Um, so I used to sit with these guys, try to help them and say, you know, you've just got to relax and it's all in your head. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't in their heads. It was in their dicks. I mean, it was in their erections. It turned out to be a physical problem. Yeah. And it's the most amazing mechanism involved there. And over my lifetime, we've learned all about that. And we've acquired these fantastic treatments for helping men who have problems with erections. And so it's a really important cause to me. And what makes me hopping mad is if you look at breast cancer, when a woman loses a breast um, through breast cancer and has a mastectomy, we pour resources at her. We give her enormous, you know, we all understand what a blow that is to her femininity. We, under, we give her a lot of support. We give government money for breast reconstruction and prosthesis and so on, as we should. I mean, that's fantastic. But when a man loses the sexual functioning of his penis through prostate cancer, and it's the consequence of the treatments for prostate cancer that cause the erection problems, we don't give a single cent of government money for penile rehabilitation. And, you know, I spent my life talking to men about their erections uh, and the fact that, you know, what a blow that is for a man. It is. He it's can't it's get masculinity. It up that yeah. is, that and is. And people is. shame men for it. Yeah. Men shame themselves for it. They feel less masculine because oh, of it. Oh, it's just terrible. And, uh, and so I have been out there for years saying, why is there this disparity? So here I was at the pink test surrounded by men in pink raising money for breast cancer nurses. And at that time, there was something like a couple of hundred breast cancer nurses at least um, working in uh, across Australia. So, and they were raising money for hundreds and hundreds more. And there were like 28 prostate cancer nurses in Australia. Now, you know, and I, so I, I spent the whole day with my iPhone going around and interviewing men saying, why are you doing this? Don't you care about, why don't, why don't men care about men losing their lives? Why don't care men, you know, just interviewing. And yeah. what was interesting is I had just as many women who were hopping mad about it. Women who say, my dad died of prostate cancer. And if he saw these women, these men in pink, he'd be, you know, really furious. Why don't people care about men's lives? Why don't people care about men's health? Mm. I, I think it's a great thing, like most people do, that it's raising money and it's a really positive thing. And hopefully it pushes more women to go out and get uh, breast checks. Oh, no, more. it's not a great course- thing. You know why it's not a great thing? Breast cancer is now getting a hugely disproportionate hunk of the cancer money. Yes, you know, but this is my point. Yeah. You need to make sure that everyone, based on the amount of people that are having it or the amount of research yeah. that needs to go into it, we spoke to another gentleman who uh, had brain cancer and uh, his, his foundation is raising a lot of money. 
And it's important that things like brain cancer, things like prostate cancer, these cancers or these horrible diseases that are affecting thousands of people on a daily basis More across Australia. More people than breast cancer. Prostate cancer? Prostate, yeah, absolutely. Wow. But the trouble is it's older men and, you know, obviously there are some young women getting breast cancer. But the, there are more men of dying of prostate cancer than women die of breast cancer. Wow. Yep. And, you know, as you say, brain cancer, testicular cancer. Yeah. How we, hear, we hear so little about that. Mm. I did a thing on the, you know, the ball tampering thing, yep. telling men to tamper with their balls. Yeah, know? absolutely. And, and, and dudes should. There was a guy, uh, Furious yeah. Pete, who's a YouTuber, really yeah. big following. He has tes- testicular cancer. He's yeah. lost a testicle and he's gone through chemo at the moment. Yeah. And uh, he's big on, you know, talking about it. Uh, but there are very few people that talk that talk about yeah. it. These uh, people need to get behind uh, different different charities, different movements to try and raise money and and awareness. Like now, mental health is the big one that people are focusing on. But people are struggling. Yeah. A lot of the time, people and don't... men are struggling much more than women. Look, the the funding for health, whole range of health issues, is now dispro- disproportionately favouring women. And why do we care about? You know all these issues that particularly impact on men. Do you think it's? Do you think because it's like I spoke to Connor about this in the car, and we thought, oh, maybe it's just men trying to be nice. Yeah. Like is that's that? Is, because, well, you know, that's part of the wonderful thing about men is they look after women. So when I was interviewing all these men at the cricket, they were all saying, oh well, you know, it's just the way we are. We like to, you know, look after the women in our lives, and you know, they think they thought that was a good thing to be doing. Yeah. And it's part of, you know, that's the trouble is that's being twisted to now, as we said, you know, we've got this idea now of women being not being independent and strong and capable of looking after ourselves, but women constantly needing protection. So it's being twisted in, in the in the camp situations with regard to sexual assault. It's being twisted in a whole range of areas as, you know, women needing that protection again. So we've seen this huge reversal from the early you know, I remember there was a, uh, a singer called Helen Reddy. I, a woman, hear mm. me roar. This idea that we're, we're powerful creatures and we can take care of ourselves. Where has that gone? I think that's a great way to end the show. And uh, to wrap it all up, pull your head in, Clem. Wake up to yourself. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. If you've got anything else you would like to say, would you like what? to give yourself a plug? Well, no, I suppose the only thing is I think we were very serious. And well, that's I actually, good. I said, yeah, that's good. Because I, I suppose my, my instinct is to be much lighter on a lot of this stuff. But the trouble is the men's stuff is where I'm deadly serious. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know. And, um, but uh, I, th- I also think somehow we have to retain our sense of humour. And, and, and I, that's why, why you're so important, that what you do is to talk about really important issues, but send them up. And I think that's a really important skill. And I'm so pleased you're out there talking about men, amongst other things. Thank you very much. And reaching a new audience. Fantastic. Well, now I feel better about myself. <laughs> um, well, uh, what would you like to say? This is the camera that you give your plugs to. Please plug yourself. Whatever you need to do, tell people where to go and find out all about you and everything you're doing. Because a lot of the men who are watching this right now, they're going, okay, well, this is amazing. We've got a woman on our side. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I'm certainly on men's side. I've been talking about men's issues for over 30 years. Um, and you can look at my, I've just, just revamped my website, which if you just Google my name, Bettina Arndt, you'll find it. Um, and you can see my YouTube videos. I hope I'm going to be one of the people soon on, on Jordan Peterson's Think Spot, his Beautiful. new platform, which is really exciting. Yes. 
I'm out there. I'd love more students to host talks for my campus tour. Uh, one of the things that the Union of Students has passed a resolution saying I shouldn't be allowed to speak on campus. So they managed to intimidate a lot of students from, you know, daring to have me on campus. And so I'm, if you've got brave students out there, invite me to um, speak. That would be fantastic. And um, I'm also starting a hashtag men too speaking tour. We might bump into each other in the wilds of Queensland one somewhere, day. Somewhere, somewhere <laughs> in an airport. We could do a, a, a two-person act. You know, Talking about bumping into people, I actually, uh, when I was in an airport in Brisbane in, in the Virgin Lounge, because I'm a big deal, I was in there and uh, ran into, and I know you've uh, uh, obviously a friend of and open for and had on your podcast Jordan Peterson. And I've seen some of the conversations you've had with him and they were very interesting to take in all that information. And uh, unfortunately, the conversation I had with him lasted for three minutes of me acting like a, a tiny schoolgirl who was terrified of talking to him. I was shaking and freaking out. Oh, so, true. but but no, he's well. He's I was I was lucky. I I was the MC for two of his talks uh, when he first came here in Australia, which was pretty exciting. Mm, and I had I did a lovely long video with him, which even got I I pushed him pretty hard on issues. He he's very careful, yes. Jordan, and he tries to avoid uh, certain topics. But I got him to talk about. Um, sexual obligation in marriage, which is one of my pet subjects, the whole issue of whether there's any, there should be any requirement on you to look after your sexual partner. And that's a classic issue where he normally treads very carefully and he, and he was quite outspoken in saying, of course it might, you can't have a marriage unless you're taking care of each other sexually. So it's a very important part of any relationship. But that's know? a very... Uh, that's a, a message that the feminists regard as extremely hostile. So mm. it's got me into a lot of trouble preaching that. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. if you're not making trouble, who cares? Oh, no. <laughs> you gotta, I've, been, I've been making trouble all my life. <laughs> you've got to make a bit of trouble. You've got to make a bit of noise. Otherwise, you're just everybody else. And of course, I, you know, I got in the whole sex field because I wanted to make trouble. It just really annoyed me that here was a subject that is part of life and we weren't allowed to talk about it. And now I'm out there talking about men because that's the thing we're not allowed to talk about. Mm. It's just crazy. Crushing taboos. But it, it, it attracts me like a moth to the flame. Yeah, <laughs> but people who think similarly to people like us who yeah. want to talk about these outspoken views, like they want to talk about the taboo, taboo topics, topics yeah. because that's what people find interesting. Yeah. I think I think that's just a perfect a perfect way to sort of combat the ridiculousness we see in our society. Absolutely. But, but anyway, thank you so much for joining thank us on the you, podcast. Andy. Very I nice to meet you. Oh, it's great to meet you too. Ladies and gentlemen, what a show. I'm doing this while Bettina looks at me, which is always very awkward, but you know, it's the best way to end the show, Connor. I agree. Ladies and gentlemen, I tell you what, make sure you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. If you leave the best review, I'll come to your house and, well, I said cook dinner last time. Uh, I don't know, hang out with your family. I'll babysit the kids. I don't know. I'll do something interesting. But anyway, ladies walk and gentlemen. Walk the dog. Walk the dog. I'll walk the dog for you. That's what <laughs> I'll do. I'll pick up. I'll even pick up the poo. No, I don't even do that with my own dog. All right? I leave it for the old lady who can't see properly. She just leaves it on a lawn. Uh, anyway, I'm a horrible person. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Anything else, Connor? Subscribe, etc. Tour. Tour. I'm on tour. tour, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely everywhere around the country. It's the greatest show on earth. It's like the bloody Moscow Circus. I'm absolutely killing it. Make sure you can check out the ticket link down below. And that's about all I've got to say. Toodaloo. Bye. People don't want to get it, get a fight ended up in the hands of the judge. That's the, the sort of the way the sport's heading. Like pushing down a route of more sports-based rather than combat-based. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.